1: And now, it's Talk
0: Law Radio with Todd Marquart.
1: Good evening. This special bonus edition of Talk Law Radio will dive deep into the details of a court case the mainstream media isn't talking about. That's Missouri versus Biden, number 322CV01213 in the United States District Court, the Western Division, Louisiana, the Western District in Louisiana, the Monroe Division. So far, the judge in that case has ruled against a motion by the Biden administration to dismiss. It has ruled for uh, preliminary injunction against the Biden administration and has denied the Biden administration a motion to stay, which means it's denied its motion to not enforce the injunction. I'll be explaining all of this over the next 20 minutes. Buckle up, it's going to be fast and furious. Listen to Talk Law Radio on Saturdays at 11 o'clock in the morning on KLUP 930 AM radio, Facebook Live, Podcasts Everywhere, or YouTube to discover your legal issue blind spots. Whether you're a member of the Democratic or the Republican Party, you should be outraged by what you're about to hear. Let's start with a timeline of events that sets the stage, uh, the backdrop for what happened in this court case, why this court case was brought about. In December 12, 2019, a cluster of patients in China, the city of Wuhan, begin to experience the symptoms of an atypical pneumonia-like illness that does not respond well to standard treatments. This was the beginning of COVID-19 pandemic. In February 25th, uh, 2020, the Center for Disease Control, Dr. Nancy Messonnier, the incident manager for the COVID-19 response, held a telebriefing for the nation to brace and expect mitigation efforts to contain the virus, and that would include school closings, workplace shutdowns, and the canceling of large gatherings, public events, stating that the disruption to everyday life may be severe. In March 16, 2020, the National Institute of Health had clinical trials for, for the Moderna mRNA vaccine. In October 2020, October 14th, the New York Post published articles containing purported emails of unknown authorship, which suggested that Hunter Biden provided an opportunity to this advisor uh, to the board of Brisma to meet his father, then Vice President Joe Biden. Then there was uh, the November 2020 presidential election. After that, December 11th, 2020, the Food and Drug Administration granted uh, an emergency use authorization to Pfizer-BioNTech for the mRNA vaccine for people age 16 and older. You'll understand why I bring up uh, COVID-19 and Hunter Biden in just a few minutes. In this court case, Missouri versus Biden, plaintiffs allege that defendants, the Biden administration, among others, suppressed conservative-leaning free speech, such as suppressing the Hunter Biden laptop story prior to the 2020 presidential election, suppressing speech about the lab leak theory of COVID-19's origin, suppressing speech about the efficiency of masks and COVID-19 lockdowns, suppressing speech about the efficiency of COVID-19 vaccines, suppressing speech about election integrity in the 2020 presidential election, suppressing speech about the security of voting by mail, suppressing parody content about the Biden administration, suppressing negative Social media posts about the economy and suppressing negative social media posts about President Joe Biden. Again, this court case, Missouri versus Biden, is going to cover uh, the motion to dismiss that case, the motion for preliminary injunction, and the motion to stay the preliminary injunction. First, we'll start with the motion to dismiss so the motion to d- dismiss was brought by the Biden administration, and the issue was whether the case should be dismissed for lack of subject matter jurisdiction or should be dismissed for failure to state a claim upon which relief could be granted. And, and this was all about suppression of speech, uh, mostly via social media. So the plaintiffs were among the state of Missouri, also the state of Louisiana. There were some private plaintiffs named Aaron Curity, Martin Kulldorf, Jim Hoft, Jayanta Batacara, and Jill Hines. The defendants were President Joseph R. Biden, Jr., the Department of Health and Human Services, the Center for Disease Control and Prevention, in the United States Census Bureau. Was harm caused to the states, their citizens, and the generalized public? Those questions help answer uh, whether the case is going to be dismissed. Okay, Uh, let's see. The law on this, Federal Rules of Civil Procedure 12, Subparagraph B, subparagraph 1, and Rule 12, subparagraph B, subparagraph 6 are all related to subject matter jurisdiction. The law says a case is properly dismissed for lack of subject matter jurisdiction when the court lacks the statutory or constitutional power to adjudicate the case. The party seeking to invoke jurisdiction bears the burden of demonstrating its existence. There is a presumption against subject matter jurisdiction that must be rebutted by the party bringing an action to federal court. So that would be the plaintiffs in this case. They bear the burden of proving that the court has jurisdiction. To withstand a motion to dismiss, a complaint must contain sufficient factual matter accepted as true to state a claim to relief that is plausible on its face. A claim is facially plausible when it contains sufficient factual content for the court to draw the reasonable inference that the defendant is liable for the misconduct alleged. And there's another rule uh, relating to 12B1 um, about lack of Article Three standing and the law on that is the plaintiff seeking to establish injury in fact must show they that they suffered an invasion of a legally protected interest that is concrete and particularized or and actual or imminent, not conjectural or hypothetical. And the court found that the plaintiffs did adequately allege each claim in the complaint and denied the defendant's motion to di- dismiss on Rule 12b-6 grounds. The case law suggested that where relief against other federal officials would redress the plaintiff's alleged injuries, the claims against the president should not proceed and are not necessary. Therefore, there's no underlying statute for President Biden's actions that the court could point to enforcing the president into some action. Most of the case law on this issue discussed a specific statute that a president failed to comply with, and that wasn't the case here. So this court found that the the plaintiff's claims for injunctive relief against President Biden would be dismissed, but only the injunction against President Biden himself, the injunction against all the other administrative agencies those were allowed to proceed. So there was those claims were not dismissed. The, the court noted that there was a lack of clear authority on the availability of declaratory relief against a sitting president. The Supreme Court expressly stated that a declaratory judgment against the president could redress a plaintiff's injuries. So there was a, another claim uh, asking the court to declare that the, uh, the president had uh, violated the First Amendment freedom of speech by suppressing speech uh, through social media. And we'll talk more about that later. The Supreme Court expressly stated that a declaratory judgment against a president could redress those injuries. So that part of the case, that part of the motion to dismiss was denied. And let's find out some of the reasons why. So the the federal censorship program they found directly undermined Missouri and Louisiana's fundamental policies favoring the freedom of speech. And it inflicted a clear and direct injury on the state's sovereignty. Okay, so that's all What's important about the motion to dismiss, the Biden administration wanted the case dismissed, and the court said no, except for the part where the plaintiffs were asking to stop President Biden from, from doing something. So they didn't get that, but they did get the, the case to continue on. So we'll talk next about the motion for preliminary injunction. A preliminary injunction is going to stop the the defendants from suppressing speech while the case proceeds forward. So, I'll, I'll break the news to you that uh, the preliminary injunction was granted, but that's not the end of the case. They still need to um, proceed past this. But preliminary means during the pendency of the case. In Texas, we, we would talk more in terms of temporary injunction during the pendency of the case. So the, the issue in this part uh, on this motion for preliminary injunction was uh, whether there was suppression of ideas and viewpoints on social media platforms, whether the Biden administration and various government agencies and officials Coerced social media companies to censor disfavored viewpoints and speakers, whether those agencies violated the Administrative Procedures Act, and, and also involved was Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act, which immunizes censorship on social media from liability in certain cases. Okay, the, the, the pl- plaintiffs are the same, the defendants are the same. A um, uh, question related was, their censorship and suppression of free speech? Was there censorship and suppression of political speech? And was harm caused to the states, their citizens, and the generalized public? The following are a few examples of actions taken by the defendants that demonstrate they are unlikely to succeed on the merits. So that's one of the issues in whether or not a court will grant your injunction. So let's just go back to that. Okay, the the plaintiffs must show that they suffered an injury in fact, that it is fairly traceable to the challenged conduct of the defendant, and that it is likely to be redressed by a favorable judicial decision. Also, plaintiffs must demonstrate a substantial threat of irreparable injury if the injunction is not issued. For injury to be irreparable, plaintiffs need only show it cannot be undone through monetary remedies deprivation of a procedural right to protect a party's concrete interest is an irreparable injury. Additionally, violation of a First Amendment constitutional right, even for a short period of time, is always an irreparable injury. And so there was evidence and testimony presented to this court for the court to to find that these things actually happened. According to the White House defendants, on January 23rd, 2021, the White House digital director for COVID-19 response team, Clark Humphrey, emailed Twitter and requested the removal of an anti-COVID-19 vaccine tweet by Robert F. Kennedy Jr., who just happens to be running for president right now. On April 14th, 2021, the White House Deputy Assistant to the President and Director of Digital Strategy, Rob Flaherty, demanded censorship by Facebook of a video of Fox News host Tucker Carlson and Tommy Laren, where Tucker Carlson was saying COVID-19 vaccines don't work and Tommy Laren was saying she won't take a COVID-19 vaccine. Flaherty demanded immediate answers from Facebook on April 16, 2021 in relation to the video, and on April twenty first, 2021, despite not violating Facebook's policies, Facebook gave the video a 50% reduction for seven days and stated it would continue to demote the video. So Facebook can suppress your posts, if you're saying something that they don't like, and now we know that the White House directed them to do that. Okay, as to the Surgeon General defendants, Senior Advisor to the Surgeon General Eric Waldo testified that Surgeon General Dr. Vivek H. Murthy used his office to advocate for social media platforms to take stronger actions against health misinformation which involved putting pressure on social media platforms to reduce the dissemination of health misinformation, that message was given to social media platforms both publicly and privately. In addition to public statements, Murthy had meetings with social media companies called health misinformation poison and called for social media companies to do more to control the reach of health disinformation. When Murphy was calling posts health disinformation, he was referring to anti-vaccine posts. The CDC defendants consistently had regular contact with social media platforms via email, phone, and in-person meetings. The CDC defendants received crowd-tangle reports from Facebook as to the top engaged COVID and vaccine-related content. The CDC defendants provided PowerPoint slide decks to Facebook, which provided examples of misinformation topics and made recommendations to Facebook as to whether claims were true or false. Some of the items designated as false by the CDC defendants included medically debatable topics such as whether COVID-19 had a 99.96% survival rate, whether COVID 19 vaccines weaken the immune system, and the safety of COVID 19 vaccines. The NIAID defendants included Dr. Francis Collins, who sent an email to Dr. Anthony Fauci on October 8, 2020 which stated that the Great Barrington Declaration needed to have a quick and devastating takedown. Look up Great Barrington Declaration if you don't already know what that is. Dr. Fauci sent back information to debunk the Great Barrington Declaration, and both Dr. Collins and Dr. Fauci followed up with a series of public media statements attacking the Great Barrington Declaration. Thereafter, the Great Barrington Declaration was censored by social media platforms. Now, as to the FBI defendants, along with numerous social media platforms, the CISA and the Department of Homeland Security met consistently at industry meetings. The industry meetings were, issued, were used by the FBI defendants and others to discuss election disinformation. Prior to the 2020 presidential election, the FBI repeatedly warned social media companies to be alert for hack-and-dump or hack-and-leak operations. The Hunter Biden laptop story was published by the Washington Post on October 14, 2020, after being asked by Facebook whether the Hunter Biden laptop story was Russian disinformation, the FBI's Laura Dimlo refused to comment, leading Facebook to suppress the story. The FBI had the laptop since December of 2019 and knew that the story was not Russian disinformation. CISA Defendants the CISA defendants regularly met with social media platforms at several types of meetings. At those meetings, disinformation was discussed as well as reports about social media companies' charges to censorship policies. CISA had five sets of reoccurring meetings with social media platforms that involved discussions of misinformation, disinformation, and or censorship of protected speech on social media. The CISA defendants collaborated with the Election Integrity Partnership, working with them in a switchboarding operation, which reported alleged election misinformation to social media companies. The alleged election misinformation included claims that mail-in voting is insecure and theories about election fraud are hard to discount. CISA Director Jen Easterly views the word infrastructure expressively to include our cognitive infrastructure, which deals with the way people acquire knowledge and understanding. The State Department defendants worked closely and collaborated with the Election Integrity Partnership and the Virality Project, who forwarded alleged election misinformation and COVID-19 misinformation to social media companies. The alleged misinformation related to content by American citizens. The alleged disinformation primarily involved social media posts which delegitimized election results and posts which involved anti-vaccine content by such personalities as Alex Brinson, Candace Owens, Tucker Carlson, and John F. Kennedy, Jr. The Election Integrity Partnership was designed to get around unclear legal authorities, including very real First Amendment questions that would arise if government agencies were to monitor and flag information for censorship on social media, which they did. Okay, after this, so the... Preliminary injunction was granted because the court heard the evidence and found it to be true. And so the injunction was to stop the president's agencies and administrations from censoring and suppressing speech. Whether it's true or not, it shouldn't be suppressed. Then the Biden administration brought forth a motion to stay the preliminary injunction and the issue was whether to grant a stay, which is non-enforcement, if the defendants face irreparable harm with each day the injunction remains in effect, because they said the injunction's broad scope and ambiguous terms may be read to prevent the defendants from engaging in a vast range of lawful and responsible conduct, including speaking on matters of public concern, working with social media companies on initiatives to prevent grave harm to the American people and the country's various democratic processes. Well, the court denied the motion to stay. So what have we learned? Whether you're a member of the Democratic Party or the Republican Party, you should be outraged by the government's suppression of free speech. We know it happened. This isn't just some reporter who alleged that these things happened. It was proven with evidence in court. And we, as a free people, want speech to be free from government interference, even if the speech consists of wrong information or unpopular opinions. Your unpopular opinion might be next. Government suppression of your neighbor's opinions has been suppressed. This has not been reported in mainstream media, so tell your friends to listen to Talk Law Radio, where we help you discover your legal issue blind spots. Todd Marquardt, I'll talk to you later.
0: Discover the fascinating world of the law with Talk Law Radio. Listen to 30 a.m. The Answer every Saturday morning at 11 for insightful discussions and expert analysis. Then, don't miss out on a thrilling bonus segment every Sunday at 4.30 p.m. when Talk Law Radio's attorney, Todd Marquardt, offers his professional perspective on trending legal issues. Stay informed and engaged with the legal matters that shape our nation. Join Talk Law Radio for an enriching radio experience on 9.30 a.m. The Answer. And for more info, go to TalkLawRadio.com.